Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message about God calling Samuel. You can follow along with this message in 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 21. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. out your message guide from your program. Of course, the outline is the first two panels. Today's theme verse from John 10 is, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. That's a strong verse, isn't it? My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So this morning, we want to learn about the voice of God. Does he speak? How does he speak and why? We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3 today. In the the book we sell, we're on page 226. So we're beginning at 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 1. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days messages from the Lord, or literally the word of the Lord, messages from the Lord were very rare. And visions were quite uncommon. Vision means a, a divine revelation from God that's, that's mediated, that's received and mediated by a seer. It's given to someone who then expresses what he's seen. Now, does this mean that there were no longer sacrifices going on or that the festivals were ignored? What do you think? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Festivals were going on. Sacrifices were being offered. Religious practices were ongoing. They abounded in the land. But there was no revelation from God. Like church services. You know, you can have a lot of church services with no Holy Spirit. And for some, it's not even detectable. You know what I'm saying? Religious practice can go on. But without God's Word, which is His creative and His recreative power, there isn't any true spiritual life and there's not any transformation. But you can do human religious activity without God's participation at all. Does that make sense? Well, that's what was happening. It may be what we see sometimes in our culture. Amos 8, 11 says this. For the time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or water but of hearing the words of the Lord. And I wonder if that's where we are in our land. We, there's a lot of religious activities, a lot of big churches, but the righteousness of God doesn't seem to be guiding the hearts of our people. Is that fair? 
So we're going to look at the call of God. First, the call of God reaches people personally. Verse 2. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now. Now, this reference to blind is, of course, to physical sight. But it symbolizes also his diminishing spiritual vision. So Eli had gone to bed. The lamp of God, now the lamp of God was a seven-branched candlestick. You can find reference in Exodus 25. It was filled with olive oil, Exodus 30, verse 8. And it was kept burning before the Lord from evening to morning. It was in the tabernacle. It was in front of the curtain, or some translations say the veil, that, that was in front of the most holy place or the holy of holies. And so this light had not yet gone out. So this encounter took place during the night. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Was he inside the curtain where the ark was? No, because only who was allowed there? Only the high priest and only once per year. Only, so he was, but he was sleeping there in the tabernacle. Maybe on a pallet, perhaps on a cot. Suddenly, the Lord called out Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord God called out again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. Interesting sentence, isn't it? Now, did that mean Samuel didn't know who God was? He knew about worship, didn't he? He knew about sacrifices. He knew about Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. He knew about the God of Israel. He probably knew all the history and all the stories. And all there was to know about God in that way, in terms of information. But he didn't have a personal relationship with him. He'd never had an individual, intimate encounter with God. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord because he had never. No, I'm reading there. Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls you again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. He didn't say Lord, did he? He doesn't know who's speaking yet. So he says, speak, your, Lord, your servant is listening. Do you believe that God calls people personally and individually today? Well, 
we know he certainly called people in the Bible at certain times. He called Abraham. He called Jacob. He called Moses. And look at this verse from Job. For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. He speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. So there's just several different ways that God speaks. How many different ways does God speak? Well, in the Old Testament, he spoke in numerous ways. He spoke through angels and prophets, through dreams and visions, through the casting of lots, which were the, what were their names? What were they called? The lots. Come on now, I'm going to have to get Nairobi back out here to get, that should have gotten your hearts pumping a little bit. Urim and Thummim, two stones. He spoke through a gentle voice. He spoke through a fire, through a burning bush. Also through preaching, through judgments, through symbolic actions, through signs, through miracles, through the writing on a wall, through a donkey. Now, y'all certainly ought to understand when a jackass is speaking. <laughs> From a trumpet, through thunder and lightning, through smoke and storms, through a fleece, through a sound of marching in treetops through direct conversation, and also through impressions. And that's not an exhaustive list of different ways God expressed himself to individuals or to groups. In the New Testament, he obviously spoke through Jesus, but also through nature, through angels, through dreams, through visions, through prayer, through prophets, through lot casting, through signs and wonders, preachers, scripture, an unbeliever even spoke. And the church. And words came directly from the Father, also came from the Son, and also the Holy Spirit, the Son after the ascended. But why so many different ways? Were you aware of all these ways? Because God speaks in ways that we can receive and understand. And he he speaks, he communicates in ways that are appropriate for us individually. And he persists until we hear. Now you can say, well, he speaks in all those ways today. Well, I'll say that he speaks most commonly today through prayer, through his word, through impressions. He still speaks through impressions, which includes impressions through nature. He speaks through other people and sometimes through circumstances. In other words, he communicates to you in many different ways. Has God communicated to you? Salvation always occurs through personal communication from God. You agree with that? God's call. He calls us to faith. That happens individually. That happens personally. It happens in an event. It happens in an encounter. It may be a word you heard. It may be a verse came to life. It might be something that that a pastor says. It might be something that a friend speaks to you. It might be a whisper in the night. 
but it's a communication that's different from what you've heard before. Now, we can know a lot about God. We can read the Bible. We can understand. We can accept facts about God as true. But a relationship, which is what saving faith is, a relationship requires two-way communication. Is that fair? Do you have a relationship with anyone with whom you don't have two-way communication? You might know a lot of celebrities on Facebook or Instagram or chat or whatever the, all those things are. Television, you think, oh, I know them. No, no that, that's one-way communication, and it may not even be authentic communication. Now, first meetings with God are often very dramatic because he's, he's grabbing your attention. He's establishing his presence. He's communicating his will. And then it may be that, that later encounters are less dramatic, less, less sensational, less spectacular, but more personal. As you develop an intimacy with God, as that relationship is developed and deepened. And you come to recognize his voice. Why do you do that? Well, it has a certain weight. It carries a certain content. There's a, there's a certain tone. It always reflects what the scripture reveals. You don't get a message from God that's different than what he's saying in his revealed word. But you develop it through practice. Well, that doesn't sound spiritual, does it? Does that sound spiritual? Did you learn, did you have to practice here in Debbie? Have you got it down now? Huh? But is it better? But you see my point? We, 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 we know this in human relationships. When we first get married, you know, we have ideas about our spouse that might have very little to do with that person. Is that true? John, you just projected all kinds of things. <laughs> but Allison was projecting some things on you too. But over some years... And some situations that have been very good and some not as good. Some stressful. You've learned to communicate. Why do we think it's different than God when we're fully half of the relationship? We have to learn how to hear. We have to learn to know him. We, 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 when we know his word, when we, we learn his will. You know, if somebody says, well, your wife said this. I'll know whether it's likely my wife said it. Isn't that true? Your wife said she did not want to go anywhere out of town and never wants to go out to eat again. 
No. Well, your wife said she'd, she'd rather just go to Applebee's than she would one of those places downtown. No. Now, if it was me, if somebody told my wife, your husband would rather just go to Applebee's. Oh, yeah. Because she knows me. I know her. You see my point? Do we know God that way? So that when we hear something, or even if I say, God wants you to do this, you ought to be able to say, that sounds like God. Or, that doesn't sound like God. When these folks, our friends from Antioch, were singing, you ought to be saying, that guy knows God. You see my point? But there could be somebody up here with a message, and you ought to all be able to say, he might have gotten that message from somewhere, but it doesn't sound like he got it from God. God systematically, progressively increases our knowledge of him, which grows our faith through his communication. Well, you sound like you're talking about a continual process. I am. So here's we go back to where I started. Have you heard God speak? Now, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody because we all can, but that doesn't mean everybody has yet. Have you heard God speak? Let me see some hands. You think you've heard God speak. You feel confident in that. Okay. The call of God reveals God's purposes. See, the Lord in his call to Samuel was, was calling Samuel first to faith. Again, I don't mean belief in the facts. He already believed all the facts, I think. He called him into relationship. You know the difference? You remember that, Rowdy, you, didn't, you weren't saved the first time you learned facts about God. Do you remember the time when you were brought into relationship with him? That's completely different, isn't it? He was calling him first to faith. He was also calling him to service, which those two really aren't separate. When God called you to faith, he called you to service as well. Because he called you into relationship with him. And your part of the relationship is not only communication, it's also service. He was called as a prophet as well. Now, the Greek word that's used of Samuel is, there's several different, I mean, Hebrew word that was used of Samuel. There's several different Hebrew words referring to children. And so... Is children at different ages. The word that's used here refers to a child from infancy up to adolescence. So Samuel could have been no more than 13, maybe 14. I'm not sure he was that old. You decide how old you think he is. I think he may be more like 10, 9, perhaps even 8. He was old enough to, you know, he slept by himself in another room. He, he ran around. He had responsibilities, so he wasn't three years old. But he wasn't very old. But to me, God's first words to Samuel as a prophet was terrifying to such a young person. Because he, 
he repeated his judgment of Eli. The judgment is found in 1 Samuel 2, verses 27 is where it begins. But we're going to just pick up in chapter 3 at verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Now we learned this last week. Eli and his sons dishonored God, despised his offerings and his sacrifices. Because of their attitude toward the sacrifices, those sacrifices would not be effective to cover their sins. Now, if a priest sinned unintentionally, inadvertently, which they did, they were human, but they could be atoned for by sacrifices and offerings. Leviticus chapter 4. But Eli's sons, you see, disrespected those sacrifices and offerings. They sinned defiantly, and God said, and their, their father said even, no one can mediate your offense against God. And Eli knew that. But, but, but again, let's go back here. Why repeat such a terrible punishment to someone so young? Does that surprise you? Anybody? We're careful what we say to small children, aren't we? Why would he say something like this to this child in the tabernacle? Look at Amos 3.7. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Why? Because God's actions bring him glory. Which actions? Do you believe that? God's actions, all of them, bring him glory. And so by telling his prophets what he was about to do, who would then spread the word to his people, everyone would recognize God's work and praise him. You know, talking to a friend yesterday, she was talking about how, you know, we don't see God work the way we saw him work, we see him work in the scripture in some ways. I'm not sure that's true. Or at least I'm not sure that he isn't working the same ways. The difference is the Bible identifies certain occurrences as God at work. When we observe it, we're only speculating how God is at work. You see? Same thing's true of miracles. Is God performing miracles? Are people being healed? I think yes. We've seen some healing. Well, is it, is it at the rate that it was we see it in the New Testament? Perhaps. Jesus selected a person at the pool at Bethesda to heal. Not everybody laying there sick. So the Bible focuses on those Jesus healed. But he never healed everyone. And so when, when the Spirit is healing people today, we just don't have a Bible pointing out, it happened right there. It's happening right here. It happened over here. God's Spirit's at work in all these ways. We just don't have a Bible showing us what God's doing. 
He tells the prophets and they tell the people and the people recognize it. And we learn to trust God, but we also learn to obey him as he tells us his plans and then he achieves his purposes. Now the message that was given to Samuel was real fundamental. You know, you, we would think, I wouldn't go to start that way. I would say, hey, Samuel, I want you to know me, and we're going to have a lifelong relationship. Well, isn't that what you would do? Uh-uh. He said, I'm about to destroy those people you like. <laughs> That's shocking to me, isn't it? I mean, I want us to be shocked sometimes at what God is doing because sometimes it ought to be startling. And then we have to come back and say, why? What's he doing? Well, the message that was given to Samuel and early in his life, at the beginning of his, his role as a prophet, revealed the holy righteousness of God, which displayed his perfect character And it provided a warning against sin. Now, why would he start with that? I want you to think about it. Why would he start with that? Now, back to you. Has God revealed, not only called you, but has he revealed to you a plan or his purpose for you? Anybody know that? Let me see a hand. I want to see some hands. Doesn't matter if you've carried it out yet. I want to know if you've heard a plan or a purpose. A word from God to you. The call of God, you see, requires faithful response. Verse 15. So the next morning has come. The sun comes up. Samuel stayed in bed until morning. Now, what's he feeling? What's Samuel feeling? Fear. What else? Anxiety. What else? I couldn't hear that one back there. Shock. Yeah. What else? Doubt. How about dread? You ever had a difficult task ahead of you at work and you woke up that morning, you knew you had a very difficult conversation to have and you woke up with dread. In fact, you probably didn't sleep much through the night. You think Samuel slept after he heard from God? You think he enjoyed this message he was given? Do you? Come on. No, no. I don't think he did at all. He stayed in bed until morning. Then he got up and he opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. But I think he felt anxious. I do think he felt anxious. He went about his duties. But, it, but everything was different now. He wasn't that, this innocent child that was just working in the tabernacle. Now God has spoken directly to him and he's laid a heavy assignment on him. He probably was doing some other things, trimming some candles, cleaning some wax up. Refilling the oil. But this is what we expect. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. Why? 
my death. Because he loved Eli. It's just that simple. Do you like conveying bad news to someone you love? No. He respected Eli. But Eli called at him, Samuel, my son. Now, there was real affection here. Here I am. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything. And then look at this. And may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. Startling, isn't it? He could tell. He knew this little boy. Don't you know when your child is, doesn't want to tell you something? Even when they're grown. And, Samuel shook, and Eli shook it out of him in a very startling way. May God strike you if you don't tell me everything God told you. A solemn appeal to compel Samuel to speak truthfully. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. God began training Samuel with this very first message. See, as a true prophet, Samuel would have to speak the words of God and never soften, distort, or refuse to reveal them. This very first prophecy was very painful for this little boy or this teenager he may have been. Extremely painful for him to even say it. He had heard about the threat. Because it was a man, another prophet who came and gave it. He might have been standing there listening to it. And so he's probably been carrying this fear for maybe years. Wondering, when's God going to do this? That's God speaking. But this is the man who raised him, who mentored him, who loved him. And is teaching him that God's truth must be declared even when it might be painful to people we love and people who we want to love us. Pastors, but I'll say not only pastors, also parents. Really anyone in an an authority that is in a place to speak for God. Teachers, parents. Must speak the truth of God. Even though there's there's sometimes a message of judgment that will be painful to deliver if we care about the people who will receive it. If I enjoy giving painful, judgmental state, uh, sermons to you, there's something wrong with me. That's anger, you see. If I'm unwilling to give honest messages from God's word that need, you need to hear, and I won't do it, there's something wrong with me, again. You see?
But if we, me, if you, if we want to know the whole counsel of God, do you want to know the whole counsel of God? then we need both the grace of God, the forgiveness, which we love hearing, but we also need the truth of God that says, I'm holy and I expect you to be holy. We need confrontation, but we also need comfort to grow spiritually. But we don't need one out of balance with the other. We need to preach the balance that the Scripture portrays. I mean, in the church... We have to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So you have to know, but, but, but you have to know and you have to be mature enough to recognize not every sentence and every message is for you. But you need to know which part is from you, for you, letting the Spirit guide you. If you avoid truths you don't want to hear, you'll stunt your spiritual growth. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. Gathering around them the message that the itching ears want to hear. But you have to be sure, and I've, I've invited you, I've asked you, always be sure that my message or David's message or whoever's preaching here is biblical or you disregard it. And you determine if this part of it is meant for you. Because if you want to belong to God, which is more than just being born again, you have to be willing to hear what God wants to say. If you want to know your spouse, do you have to be willing to hear what she or he wants to say? Even if it isn't real pleasant sometimes. So how did Eli respond to this frightening message? Verse 18. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks best. Can you say that about God's actions? Even actions where there's pain and even tragedy involved. Can we say... He is God, let him do what he thinks best. Elon knew God, and he also knew the consequences of his and his son's disobedience. He knew that, that he failed to restrain them. He knew that he didn't remove them from their positions. And he knew that he even participated in the disobedience. See, Eli first, he just started compromising God's law in just minor ways. Can't you imagine the son comes home, hey, look what we've got today for lunch. Oh, no, no, that's not permissible for me. Just taste it. You will love this, this broiled filet. We roasted this on the spit instead of that old boiled, you know, thigh that you're usually eating. Just a taste. Just a taste. Beats the boiled thigh. So the next time it was a little easier. And then the next time it was, give me a bigger slice. Well, I'll have a whole piece myself. The next time the guy puts his spear in there, give me a, piece, give me a bigger piece. 
We don't start sinning by jumping into the worst, most extreme sin we can possibly conceive of. It's just an inch at a time. An inch at a time. And if God doesn't do anything about it, it becomes a lifestyle. And we suddenly redefine our whole relationship with God. I want you to understand that God releasing you is more often God's judgment and his restraint is his grace. You can read more about that. Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. When God leaves you alone wherever you are and you know you're, you're practicing something that you know violates what he wants and he just lets you do it, that's not a sign of his pleasure. You understand? Remember, it's the disciplining parent that's proving love. Not the indulgent one. He knew God was just and holy. He knew that everything had to be done in a certain way. But Eli, when, he, when convicted, he didn't offer any excuses. He didn't blame his sons. He didn't accuse God of being unjust. He accepted judgment. But here's a lesson. We must finish strong. I believe Eli began as a godly man. I do. And just as the years went on, he lost his passion for God. He lost his commitment to God's word. He, he lost his motivation to serve. He lost his desire to please him in every area. And the warning is, don't lose your first love. Don't lose your first love. Revelation 2, 4. So God honored Samuel. I won't read the rest. And Samuel became his prophet. But my question for you as I close. Has God spoken to you? Has God called you to faith? Has he given you a particular plan? He expects a faithful response. Do you want to hear? Do, do you? You want to hear God. And, it's a, and, and say, I've never heard. Please don't be ashamed. It's just... It, it's developing a relationship, a dialogue, but it takes some time. It takes some practice. You want to hear? Then I want you to say, speak, your servant is listening. Speak, your servant is listening. Let me see. Get on your feet if you want to hear from God. Let's see it. Let's, let's close. But I want you to say this. I want you to say it like you mean it. Speak. Your servant is listening. Speak. Your servant is listening. Speak. Your servant is listening. God, please speak to us. And we'll obey. Counselors will be here. Thank you for coming. You have a God-blessed day. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. 
You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.